But as you know, uh, we've been in a series titled Kingdom Parables, which has been a lot of fun as we have looked at some of the stories and parables that Jesus told. You've been challenged, right, to assess your heart of what kind of soil makes up your foundation, right? Is it hard? Is it hard? Is it, is it rocky? Is it filled with weeds and thorns? Or is it a good soil? Are you ready to be a kingdom worker, right? That we as believers must place Jesus as our firm foundation. And last week, Annie did a phenomenal job, right? As we read and we learned the story of the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, this, this understanding and the story that shows that God invites all of us, every single one of us, to be a part of the story of God. But we get to decide if we want to be a part of that or not. And also that there is nothing that you or I could do that can make God love us any more or any less. That what Jesus has done for us on the cross, that what Jesus did for us over 2,000 years ago was enough for you and for me. I've loved this theme. I've loved this series because it shows that Jesus, he is the master at telling short stories with a powerful truth. Short stories with a powerful truth. And this morning, we're going to see Jesus do it again. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be starting in verse 21. It's the story of the unmerciful servant. And if I'm honest this morning, this is a tough story for multiple reasons, but mainly because no one is exempt from this. There are some stories in the Bible where you might read and be like, oh, well, maybe that's not me. Or maybe you're not the main character. You don't, you don't visualize yourself as maybe the main character. Maybe you're not the lost son. Maybe you're the older brother. Or realistically, we, we might try to put our own story into these stories. But the parable that Jesus is about to share this morning to us, no one is exempt from this. That every single one of us is going, has, has at one point in time struggled with this thing. Let me set the scene for you. As, you. as you've seen most before, most of Jesus' parables, right, they're brought on by a question asked by a Pharisee or maybe even one of his disciples. Typically, this question is meant to either trick or trap or get Jesus to commit some type of heresy, basically saying something heretical towards God. And so they're asking these questions and hoping that Jesus can't answer them correctly. And so right here uh, in our text this morning, Jesus is asked another one of these questions. Except this time, he's asked a question by his own disciples. And Jesus, he spent some time talking and answering some questions from his disciples. Questions like, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? To which Jesus, he responds by saying, you must become like a child. Simple and elemental and dependent like a child. He then goes on to share briefly that it's important that you don't cause young believers to stumble in their faith. That you do everything you possibly can to build the young generation up. That also, if you're struggling with sin, handle it in a godly way. If your arm is causing you to sin, cut it off. If your eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out. Obviously, hyperbole. But what we learn is that God takes sin seriously. But also, Jesus, right before our text, he, talk, he begins to talk about this idea. If your friend sins against you, how should you respond? He gives us an example of how we should handle conflict with, with one another. That Jesus, he, he answers this question and he begins to say things like, hey, before you go to someone else, before you start sharing gossip, before you go to anyone else, when you have conflict with one another, what should you do? You should go to that person directly. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I, don't, I think our world would be a lot better today if that's what we did first. But once again, another question is asked by a disciple by the name of Peter. Everybody say Peter. 
setting up an opportunity for Jesus to share another story. Perhaps the kingdom's value that is most difficult for the world, but also the church to handle is this idea of forgiveness. And Jesus, he's going to articulate it in a way that I don't think we would typically think of it. Here is how it starts in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or more literally, Jesus is saying 70 times seven, which I'll go ahead and let you know. That a little secret. That is 490 times. I'm a math whiz. I don't know if you knew that. But realistically, that's a lot of times. 490 times Jesus is basically saying to Peter that you need to forgive. That's ridiculous, right? So you have Peter who, oh, he's always got the best intentions, but sometimes he just slips up a little bit, kind of like that person maybe in your life group or your small group or maybe in your own household who always means well. But in reality, they always say something stupid, right? You know who they are. Don't look. That's a sin, okay? Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, but by the way, um, Jesus is saying that this is a real deal. Jesus is saying that it's important, that, that, that really his question is sincere. Peter is wanting everyone to know that, hey, how many times do I actually have to forgive someone? How many times do I actually have to forgive? Because you seem to be changing all of the rules. Jesus has turned the disciples' world upside down. And he's constantly shifting things. He's constantly changing things. And Peter, he knows the law. He knows exactly what is required of him and offers a very generous plea when it comes to forgiveness. Should I just forgive seven times? It's important for us to know that in those days, the religious leaders, they had kind of figured out a science when it came to forgiveness. That by Jewish law, the maximum time they actually had to forgive, that they were required to forgive was three. But Jesus being Jesus, he shocks Peter by multiplying his generous seven by 11. He sets up what is likely an intentional contrast to Lamech in Genesis chapter 4, verse 24. It's going to be up on the screen, but I need you to turn on your Old Testament history mind just for a second because it says this. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. The point of both of these passages is not the number itself, but the exaggeration of the number. In other words, Jesus is not saying don't forgive on the 78th time, but instead he's saying forgive indefinitely. Jesus has just told Peter to forgive, not seven times, but however many times it takes. Even though Peter is sincere, he's looking for a loophole. You know what we like to do. We do this. We look for loopholes. We look for loopholes um, in God's word. We look for loopholes in our everyday life. We look for loopholes maybe in our workplace. We look for things for we don't have to always follow through the way that God calls us. When can I stop forgiving others? When can they be dead to me? When can I have nothing to do with them whatsoever? When can I say good riddance? Is it the first or second time? Is it the, first, is it the third or the first time? Maybe it's the fifth or the sixth, but on the seventh, maybe I'm going to go a little bit crazy, but I'm all right. Can you imagine, though? This is how my brain works, everybody. Uh, can you imagine? Everybody has notifications on your phone. Also, you should turn them off because your phone's running your life. But can you imagine if we had notifications on our Apple Watch or our phone that went like this? Hey, you have forgiven five times. On the seventh or eighth time, you can go Denzel Washington from training day, right? Like, what is it about it? I mean, realistically, is forgiveness that simple to us? And Jesus is saying it's not really about the number. 
This past May, I ran a half marathon because I'm only half crazy. Anybody here done a half marathon before? Anyone in the room? Okay, yeah, yeah. Anyone done a full marathon before? Yeah, keep your hand up. Those are the crazy people in the room. Um, but when I was training for the half marathon, when I was training for the half marathon, people would often ask me, okay, hey, how, how's training going? How many miles are you running a day? And I'd be like, well, it kind of depends. Maybe four to five during the week, and then on the weekends, I'm probably running between seven and 12, and then I'll be like, oh my goodness, you're there. Like, you only have one more mile until you're ready to go for the race. And I would always want to say to them, a little bit angrily, like, you don't get it, right? Like, it's not about how many miles I'm running. Sure, I need to be able to complete the race. But really what it's about is the repetition. It's about running the short runs. It's about running the long runs so that I am in a complete ready, I'm in complete readiness to be able to run the race on race day. In the same way, Jesus is saying the same way, that it's not about the number, but it's actually about the action step. That it's actually a way of life, that it's a heart issue, that it's a part of what Jesus is saying. He's attempting to say to Peter that it's not about the number, but it's a heart issue. That you must be willing to forgive no matter what. And some of us, some of us are keeping track of all the times someone has done us wrong. And Jesus is saying it's not about the number of times you have to forgive. But instead it's a heart issue. Instead it's something that we have to do repeatedly. And Jesus is going to illustrate this point. Matthew chapter 18 verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Let's stop here just for a moment because the king doesn't have to do this. The best part about being a king is you get to do whatever you want. The king had every right to punish the servant for what he owed. And in this time period, the punishment was either slavery or potentially this man being put to death. But instead, he offers mercy to him. The amount being owed by one person of 10,000 10, talents was incomprehensible. In the Greco-Roman world, the talent was the largest form of currency. You see, one talent was worth about 21, 20 years of a day laborer's wages, which means it would roughly take 200,000 years for this servant to pay back his debt. It's impossible. It's astronomical. It's hyperbole. Jesus right here is trying to prove a point. You see, the king in the story is who? Come on, who's this, who is it? You guys are smart this morning, okay. And who do you think the servant in debt represents this morning? Who do you think it is? Us, yes, wonderful. You, me, us. And the king, he cancels the debt. The king, he cancels the debt and releases him. And this first scene is the story of the gospel story. It's a powerful display of the forgiveness that God, who alone is king, displays towards all of us, that we were dead in our transgressions, that we were dead in our sin, that we by, no, by nothing, we deserved wrath. We deserved everything that God could have given to us, but because he loved the world, he died for us, sending his son. This idea that we could never repay God what we owe, but God so loved the world that he paid the debt through Jesus. I mean, this is a big deal. And Jesus dying on the cross for us, it absolutely changes everything, right? It's the reason we're here today, because we believe that Jesus really lived, that Jesus really died, that Jesus rose again. 
the God of the universe, went from his kingdom and came down to earth to see us at our worst so that we could have a relationship with God. You see, the gospel story changes everything. And Jesus, he gives us a small glimpse of the gospel story right before it actually happens. Because Jesus knows his purpose. We don't deserve it, but yet we receive it. But Jesus is about to share a really hard truth, a hard truth that, I, that was hard to hear then, but maybe it might be even more difficult for us to understand and hear today, that out of an unmeasurable grace of being forgiven by God, he calls us to forgive others. It's an obligation because forgiven people give. Let's look at the rest of the story. Verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. We should pause here one more time because, oh my goodness, right? The servant is in trouble. He's all the way messed up. I mean, realistically, he may be the biggest idiot of all time. Realistically, dude is a jerk, right? I mean, let's, we can, let's be honest. He's a jerk, right? Sometimes in a story, the bad guy is really, really bad. In this story, the bad guy is extremely bad. And Jesus, he wants you to feel this way. He wants the listener to feel this way. He wants the reader to feel this way. He tells his story, and as you hear it, you want the bad guy to get what is coming for them. I'm a big fan of movies, and I, I, realistically, I, we all, when we're watching a movie, whether it's a Marvel movie or it's a sports movie, we all want the bad guy to get got in the end, right? Like nobody, nobody is upset, right, when Johnny Lawrence gets a foot to the face. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody, that's Karate Kid, if you don't know that, you figure it out. Anyway, but like nobody's upset when Johnny Lawrence gets a foot to the face because he's a villain. He's terrible, right? You know, in the new reboot of the TV, he was kind of awesome, but it's fine, right? Johnny Lawrence gets a foot to the face and it's fine because the bad guy gets God. No one's upset when Thanos gets decapitated by Thor, right? Like nobody is upset about that. That's a Marvel reference. Sorry if you don't know that. Um, but like nobody is upset when the bad guy gets God. In the same way as is happening in the story, that I don't usually root for people to get thrown into prison and tortured. That's usually not my response. But in this one, it's kind of like, well, I mean, the guy, he kind of gets what he deserves. The guy was just forgiven of the most, the biggest debt of all time. And then he chokes a man and throws another into prison over a paycheck. To be fair, it isn't a small amount of money, but it is nothing compared to the debt in which he owed the king and was forgiven for. The servant even begged as he begged to the king, but no, he sends him, the man, to jail. And realistically, my response and most of our response is like what? He got what he deserved. And I'm with you until we read verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Sheesh. Short story. 
powerful truth. We want people to get what they deserve until it's turned back onto us. We want grace and mercy, but we don't want to give grace and mercy. And Jesus is sharing with his disciples, and he's also sharing with us that we better learn how to forgive, and we better learn with the quickness. Because if I'm going to accept God's grace upon my life, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, then I have to be willing to forgive then I must be willing to forgive other people, everyone completely, because God is keeping score. Look what he says. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Mercy is a funny thing because it's something we all want. Realistically, it's kind of something we all expect. We expect people to offer it to us. Like one of my biggest pet peeves in the world is when I'm driving on the road and there's this sign, right? Uh, there's a sign that says construction uh, on up, up ahead, uh, left lane closed, merge to the right. And I'm being a good person, right? I'm being a good person and I'm driving and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get over to the right early on and I'm driving, doing what I'm supposed to do. And then there's this jerk, right, who waits all the way all the way up. And realistically, I'm like, mm, I don't know what I'm going to do here. But they wait. And so basically, they have a choice. Either they're going to run into the cones or they're going to get in front of you. I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes I keep it pushing. <laughs> and I repent. But realistically, when it's me, though, on the other side, when it's me and I got somewhere to go, I'm trying to get to point A to point B as fast as I possibly can. And I'm recognizing, man, I, I got to get past this semi. I got to get past all these different vehicles. I got to do whatever I possibly can to get where I'm going as fast as I can. And I am this person in the left lane going all the way up to the cones. And I look over and this person's like, no, nah, keeping it pushing. It was you last time. No, and realistically, what do I want? I want mercy. I'm like, hey, I got kids in the car. Like, that changes something. I look over. I'm like, hey, be nice to me. I, I, I'm a good person, realistically. We love to accept mercy, but we don't like to give it. We don't like to offer mercy. We love to receive it, but we don't like giving any away. And the question that Jesus is forcing us to ask is, are you, am I, simply demanding justice or giving mercy as Jesus has done for us? Paul, he says this in Ephesians, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. You see, forgiveness for God's people is not a suggestion but a requirement. It's a command. But he doesn't leave us without an example. You see, the, the, the standard of our forgiveness is found in what Jesus did for us on the cross. That when I am self-aware, when I have an accurate depiction of who I actually am, I realize that I am a broken mess. I realized that I deserved nothing. I realized that I had no ability to have a relationship with the Father, but he, and I, I would com completely sin against the Father over and over and over again. But because of the love of God, Jesus came down to save me. When I have an accurate depiction of myself, and I see that God was willing to forgive me, I recognize that out of an understanding of God's grace, he calls us to forgive but not just say that we forgive, but to actually mean it from our hearts. I'm the middle child. I say this all the time because I'm messed up because of it. Um, but man, when I, was a, when I was younger, my mom or dad, they'd say, hey, forgive your sister or forgive your brother. Realistically, what would I do? I'd say, sorry. I wouldn't mean it. I'd go back into my room. We shared a room with my brother, and I'd be like, I'm hitting him. I'm not sorry. <laughs> that was lip service. 
And realistically, Jesus is telling us, though, as the believer, is telling his disciples that, hey, you, you need to actually forgive from your heart. Not just lip service, but because true forgiveness actually sets you free. But I want to be clear about what I mean when I say forgiveness, because forgiveness has been twisted not only by the church, but the world around us. The purposes in the church, purposes in the world, and in many of our relationships, God obviously places great importance on forgiveness. But that does not mean that there is, no, that there is not also justice for wrongdoing. Right? Forgiveness does not negate consequence. And some of you in this room have experienced extreme hurt that is unimaginable, that deserves extreme consequences. It does not mean that we forgive and forget or allow ourselves to remain in situations where we are hurt or abused over and over and over again. Why? Because true love never aids and abets the sin of another. Oftentimes, people will say this line, and it drives me nuts, right? Forgive and forget. People are all confused when they say that. They think that forgiveness equals forgetting, but it doesn't. Because you know they owe you, but when you don't make them pay, it actually costs you more than it costs them. We don't forget. We can't forget. When someone hurts you, when someone breaks you, when someone messes with your heart a little bit too much, it breaks. And it may, and you may be able to put it back together again, but you know deep down that you're never going to actually be the same again. You cannot forget. We're incapable of forgetting. But Jesus isn't saying forgive and forget or forgive so that you can forget. But what Jesus is saying, forgive so that you can be set free. Because you've been set free by the blood of the Lamb. Because when one has genuinely experienced the generous mercy of Jesus, it overflows towards others. But what does this mean for us? Well, realistically, it means that it's time for some of us to check our hearts. Are we withholding from other people? Are we among those who punish those we seem that are in our debt? How do we respond to the teaching of Jesus? Because realistically, it's extremely convicting. And I'd be lying to you this morning if I said this text hasn't impacted me greatly. Forgiveness is not an easy thing for me. And realistically, Jesus, he's saying, not just lip service, that's easy. But from within your heart, God is calling us to forgive so that we can be set free. But there are three people in the room this morning. There are some of you here this morning that maybe you don't need to forgive someone, but instead you need to be forgiven for something you have done. You have hurt someone in some way. You have said things you didn't mean or maybe you did mean. And maybe you have done things that you don't even know what you have done, but it's hurt someone in some way. Maybe you've treated a friend poorly. Maybe you've treated your spouse like trash. Maybe you've said things to a coworker or a family member that you know you never should have said in the first place. Maybe you've hurt your family in some way. You've dropped the ball and the guilt and the shame. You feel overwhelming. And you don't know where to start. Can I just say something to you this morning that you are not what you have done? That does not define you, but instead the Savior defines you. And he says, come to me. He says, if you will believe in me, if you will follow me, I have saved you and I have forgiven you. And you are now mine, that out of an abundance of grace and ridiculous mercy, you have been forgiven. That it's time for you to ask forgiveness of yourself, but also it's time for you to ask for forgiveness. That in the same way we repent to God for our sins, we must ask forgiveness from others. 
I won't lie to you, it's uncomfortable, it's hard, it's difficult, it's not easy, but it's necessary. Because without repentance, there can be no remission of sin. So there's some of you in the room this morning that need to ask for forgiveness. There's another group of you here this morning that have been offended or hurt by other people in ways that maybe wouldn't be considered awful offenses to the world around you, but they are very serious to you, and you are holding on to them as tight as you possibly can. You are withholding from others. You aren't trusting a people. You just don't want to be hurt again, punishing people as if they are in debt to you because they have hurt you. Maybe a friend abandons you. Maybe someone shared a false rumor about you. Maybe your spouse has let you down in some way and you aren't willing to confront it. Maybe your kids upset you and over time, what they have done, their identity has become what they have done to you. But there is real pain. Wounds some have received and the minor infractions we typically all experience, which can lead us towards bitterness and irritability and malice and a graceless spirit. And what Jesus is saying to you, what Jesus is saying to me, to us, is that when we experience God's unqualified forgiveness, it will influence all that we are and will impact all of our relationships. That mercy experience produces mercy demonstrated. That forgiveness of others is essential for the follower of Jesus. That forgiveness is essential to our salvation. A person who has extremely, who has actually experienced the forgiveness of God's grace, the, the forgiveness of what Jesus did for us on the cross, that person becomes a disciple of Jesus. And a disciple of Jesus gives out mercy, gives out forgiveness. That our motivation to forgive is our own forgiveness. That they could never repay, but neither could we. Some of us need to remember how we've been forgiven this morning to help us forgive others. Then there are some of you in the room that probably attempted to tune me out from the moment you were told to think about, to think about this idea of forgiveness. Because what has been done to you is unimaginable. Your life hasn't been easy And someone or something has hardened your heart in a way that seems unfair. I'm a a student pastor, and I've heard the stories from my students. I also know that some of you maybe didn't have a person in your life to be able to share a story with a person. And maybe you've been holding on to certain things in your life for way too long. I've heard the stories of abuse. I've heard the stories of neglect. I've heard all of the stories And if I'm honest, every time I hear these stories, I weep and I begin to recognize that I'm in my own flesh and my own desires. I begin to think to myself, you know what? You don't need to forgive because what has been done to you is unimaginable. What has happened to you is unfair and you don't have to forgive because they don't deserve your forgiveness. That's how I want to feel. That's what I want to say to them. But then I remember that forgiveness doesn't mean forget. I remember that forgiveness has nothing to do with them. I remember that forgiveness is really all about setting the person free. Because I believe some of you are here this morning and you can't imagine forgiving someone or something that had happened to you a long time ago or recent. Because something has been done to you, but you, you sit here this morning in chains Shackled by your guilt, shackled by your shame, 
Believing that you are what has been done to you. Believing the lie that Satan would love for you to believe. That you are what has been done to you. But it's the furthest thing from the truth. You are not what has been done to you. You are what Jesus says about you. He says, I love you. He says, you are valuable. He says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, you are light. And maybe my favorite, he says, you are his masterpiece. You are not what has been done to you, but instead you are who Jesus says you are. And what I want to say to you this morning and say to us this morning is that forgiveness is a process, but also that Christ-like forgiveness is supernatural, that what Jesus did for us on the cross was supernatural, that Jesus hanging there with his nails in his hands and the nails in the feet, that wasn't what was most painful. What was most painful was Jesus recognizing that the weight of the sin and guilt and shame of humanity was bearing him down. That was the most painful part, that he was removed from the Father. That is supernatural. And so if Jesus can do that, we can do it with Jesus. But outside of him, it's impossible. That we can't forgive like like Christ forgave us without Jesus. It's impossible. And what Jesus says to us is, let me in. But don't just let me in. Let me in so that I can set you free. As I close, I want to say this. Maybe you are ready to forgive. Maybe you've dealt with whatever has been done to you, and now it's time for you to actually take the action step of actual forgiveness. Maybe you're ready to forgive, but also maybe you're not. Maybe you're not ready to forgive this morning, and what I want to say to you is that's okay. Forgiveness is a process. But I want to challenge you this morning that maybe you're not ready to forgive, but would you go to God with that truth? Would you go to God with the understanding of saying, God, I'm not ready to forgive this morning. But I'd like you to transform my heart so that maybe you can make me more like you. And maybe eventually, maybe a year down the road, maybe five years down the road, I will be able to forgive. Because church, we are called to be forgiving and a forgiving and a merciful people. And this flows from truly experiencing the forgiveness and mercy that we have found in Jesus. That if we are going to do what Jesus called us to do, that we have to follow it to a T. And that means forgiving. I want to close with this prayer from Jesus himself, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, we are grateful for another opportunity to praise you. God, we are grateful for the understanding that you forgave first. God, we are grateful that we just get to have an an example that shows us what true forgiveness actually looks like. And so, God, this morning, as people have heard what you're calling them to, would your presence be felt Would people know that they can go to you with whatever struggles they have, that you are longing, that they cling to you no matter what, in all things, through all things, because you're a good God. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.